Does your family include a dog or a cat? Would you like to be better educated on how to advocate for their health naturally? Then why not check out all of the amazing resources on naturallyhealthypets.com? Dr. Judy Morgan is a trusted advisor and a regular guest here on the Dog Eared Podcast. She has over 38 years experience as an integrative veterinarian, acupuncturist, chiropractor, food therapist, author, speaker, podcast host, and owner of Dr. Judy Morgan's Naturally Healthy Pets. Dr. Judy's goal is to change the lives of pets by educating and empowering pet parents just like you in the use of natural healing therapies and minimizing the use of chemicals, vaccinations, and poor quality processed food. Head on over to naturallyhealthypets.com where you'll discover healthy product recommendations, comprehensive courses, the Naturally Healthy Pets podcast, informative blogs, upcoming events, and so much more. Again, that's naturallyhealthypets.com, the place to learn how to give your pet the vibrant life that they deserve. I am really thrilled to be doing a very special episode of Dog Ear. Today, we do not have an author on, but rather we have somebody who is involved with Ukraine Trust Chain, and it is a fabulous organization, a nonprofit that we're going to be talking about today, and we're going to be focusing on dogs, what's going on with dogs in Ukraine, what help is needed, and all the wonderful work that these fantastic volunteers are doing. We're joined by Ilya Konishnik, who joins us now. Hi, Ilya. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. So before we jump into this, I want to ask you, when did your love of dogs begin? It's hard to say exactly. I have always loved dogs and always wanted one as a kid. Um, and the reality of growing up in the Soviet Union is that um, most people were in apartments. And so dog ownership, especially for mm. any dog of any significant size, takes on extra challenges. Um compared to here where people have a little bit more space and more resources. Um, my parents were not huge fans of dogs. Uh, my mother always said how much work it would be and all that. that there was some negativity about that, which is ironic because these days she's totally in love with her you know, grandpa. Uh, the dog and her love each other. Like Aww. when the dog smells her or hears her outside, she will rush her sometimes a little bit too much force because she's it's her size and you know there is uh, definitely a lot of right. affection going on here i think it was reinforced when we had a small um summer house um uh, in kiev and uh, a cousin's um dog was there for several summers and you know just being taken care of it and it was actually pregnant at the time so the puppies were born and seeing the newborn pups and i think you know if if i wasn't totally falling for dogs then that would have probably been the moment and it just happened that for years there was some reason that like we couldn't have a dog or it didn't make sense either where we lived or life is too busy and uh, a neighbor was um, offering their dog for well, someone in the neighborhood was offering their dog for adoption so they couldn't take care of it the situation had changed and like we just totally fell in love with her 
that love is so incredible. The dog hair, the smells, the walks, the, you know, the vet bills, but the love, right, Elia? It just makes it worth it. Absolutely. Like, I, I couldn't put it better. Uh, we always knew we would have a dog and we just could not say no. And you mentioned you have a family, right? Yes. I, I have two kids. How do they? They must love the they, dog. They absolutely adore her. She's a member of the family. And I love the relationship that they have with her. Just to see them grow up with a pet and you know, help to take care of her and learn the responsibility. But also just how much my boys love her. It's just so heartwarming. I mean, the irony in a lot of it is that we were concerned about getting a dog. Like, what are we? We like to travel. We like to lead an active lifestyle. You know, what happened? Well, we got dog three and a half years ago, and three years ago, COVID lockdown started. <laughs> so the majority of the time we've uh, had her, you know, we've reduced our travel dramatically because of COVID. And then some of the trips that we did take, we ended up doing road trips with her. Ilya, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got involved, and, and what exactly is Ukraine Trust Chain? It's kind of a great intersection of my favorite topics. I love talking about dogs. I am from Ukraine myself. I was born in Kiev, but most people in our organization uh, were not. And what happened is a number of friends and acquaintances, we came together in response to Russia's horrible full-scale invasion um, just over a year ago. And it all started off with this one story. Um, it's been published now in NPR and Washington Post about these surrogate twins that were born in Kiev on the night of the bombing. Uh, you might have heard of it. Yeah, I did read about that. For people who don't know, though, tell us about this story. So uh, there are these twins um, that were born to a surrogate mother to a Chicago family on the night that Russia invaded. And they're born in Kiev. And here the, uh, they're premature. Bombs are falling everywhere, and oh um, the mother went into labor early. And then this, their family is here in Chicago, and they're worried and they're terrified. Um, they don't have the right medicines. They don't have preemie formula, and the you know, electricity is going out. Bombs are falling. So a number of uh, friends of friends and acquaintances, tons of people came together to look for resources for to help these twins. Um, and some of the people that are our lead volunteers now, we've met through this initial outreach. It's a brave woman in Kiev, Natalia, who was, she was going pharmacy to pharmacy, trying to find preemie formula as you hear bombs falling. She's like, oh, nothing here, right? I'll try the next one. Wow. And that formed one of the first uh, connections in the trust chain. We call it trust chain um, because every single team is in one way connected to either people that we know here in the States or acquaintances or some of our initial contacts. And what ended up happening very early on is that these people were just helping others. And when we saw how much they're doing, we passed a few small resources on to them. We, they were able to help a lot more people and uh, we passed on more resources to them. Uh, by the time it was uh, exactly a year ago, so two weeks into the war, uh, there were six teams on the ground. They were evacuating thousands of people, feeding tens of thousands, and all of this from funds that were passed instantly from the U.S. to Ukraine. Um, and we had um, unexpectedly formed an aid organization. We filed for a nonprofit exactly a year ago, and we've been working on this ever since. Oh, that's fantastic. What does it meant to you to be able to help out? 
it's kept me sane this year. This has been a very difficult year, and um, it's it's a very strange feeling to because we've been able to do so much, but yet we're doing this in such a horrible situation that it's we've achieved great success amid a great tragedy that we wish we wouldn't have to do any of it. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Do you ever find yourself just feeling super overwhelmed by it all? And how do you handle those emotions? Daily. Um, I think that's probably fair. Um, actually, this morning, there was a, the first thing I read is the news when I woke up, and there were the pretty massive bombings all over Ukraine. Um, and I checked in with a number of people in different cities and that we know, and they're like, well, it landed here, um, but not where we were. Or, But if we'd stayed in our old apartment, that would have been you know, 100 yards outside our window. Um, and that kind of conversation was in the morning. Um, so sometimes it's hard to start your day like that. But at the same time, um, a lot of what we do, it's just, it's incredible how many people the volunteers are able to help. So we talk about this as a small mutual aid organization, and it sometimes still feels that way, but it's had a tremendous impact. In the last year, we've uh, evacuated um, just over 49,000 people from war zones. Incredible. I, I have to say that we have an exact count of people, and I believe it's 49,892 um, as of Sunday. Um, we do not have an exact uh, count of the pets. And it is thousands upon thousands of pets that have been evacuated. Animals are really part of life in Ukraine. Some teams keep better track of pets than others. But in addition to that, we fed um, about just over 1.7 million people on the ground as an organization that didn't exist. Um, we've delivered, uh, I believe it's something on the order of um, six and a half thousand tons of aid. That's incredible. And among that, there has always been quite a bit of uh, pet food that's been delivered. That's, but uh, I think as a lot of people have seen the war images from Ukraine, they see you know, how people interact with pets and how they interact with their dogs. And you see people carrying these, you know, incredibly massive dogs for days as they uh, were escaping the country a year ago. And that kind of care for the animals, that love for them, that hasn't stopped. Like We see that everywhere throughout our work. Just thinking of one of the times we were hiking with Argold and, and there was only one way to go and it happened to be a metal bridge that she just would not cross over. Um, and this is when I realized that I really need to stay in good shape because she's a little bit on the larger <laughs> side uh, and she's about 75 pounds. So I just and then I had to lift her and carry her across, and that was the only way we were going to get through. But I can't imagine how what we would do if I had to do that for days on end. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think people might have this impression that with this horrific war going on, the last thing you're thinking about is your dog or your other pets, but they're part of the family. Understanding the culture like you talked about instead of making assumptions is really important. They are very much part of the family, and there's all kinds of reasons why um, people couldn't take them. In some cases, um, there were different periods where you could cross the border with your uh, pets, uh, with lots of exceptions. There are other periods when if you didn't have the right veterinary paperwork, and I think every pet owner knows about all the shots and all the paperwork, even if you want to hire a dog walker. You know, right. We, we thought we adopted a dog that was up to date on all 
vaccinations and everything and turned out that she was actually a slightly different age and wasn't up to date on any shots, which is um, part of why she ended up having to give it away. Imagine leaving in an emergency and you didn't take your dog's records and now you can't cross the border. Oh, that'd be so heart-wrenching. And that's something that a lot of people have had to deal with. In some cases, they evacuate with the pets. Um, in some cases, the pets have to stay behind. Are there shelters or specific places that the dogs go? Or do they end up just kind of roaming around? And like that girl who takes care of all those dogs, are those just dogs that she found? If you can expand on that for us. So one thing that we've seen a lot um, this year is that people step up to help. It's not just the hundreds of volunteers that um, work through our network. It's just regular, everyday people. And when the owners leave or have to evacuate and can't take their pets, or the owners are unfortunately not around, we've seen everyone around to step up and take care of the remaining pets. So a lot of times, sometimes it's just a neighbor that takes in one dog or a cat. Sometimes it's an old grandma that walks out into the yard and gives the leftovers to the dozen dogs that hang out there. Um, other times, in some areas, we've seen these aid requests that are very, very specific, where when each person evacuates, there's just this one animal lover that stays behind, and it often ends up being like a grandfather who's the only one left, and he's now feeding the dogs of a dozen of his neighbors. And oh, so, wow. Yeah, sometimes our teams will hear that, and okay, well, they'll deliver him extra bags of pet food, just to make sure he can keep going. Sometimes it's the grandparents, the elderly, sometimes it's the kids. It's a really different situation everywhere. Um, in there plenty of uh, large cities and where the majority of the population, where 90% of the population is still there. Kiev's population has, I believe, actually increased um, since before the war because for every person that's left, uh, refugees came and the city's population is pretty much what it was before. In other areas, there's just very few people left. So in some places, there's uh, formal dog shelters. In other places, there's very informal ones. In other places, it's organizations that have stepped in and they've organized. So maybe there was a shelter before, and now they've uh, organized connections with shelters or other organizations that support pets. Um, and then so they're taking in other animals. One of the things we do is that we, we run a number of shelters for people. We don't have any um, shelters and stuff for dogs, but we do deliver a lot of dog food. Um, a lot of these organizations that help uh, pets, what they don't have often is the logistics to deliver and help. Our teams reach all of the small villages and towns and all the areas near the front line, and um, we probably feed more dogs than a lot of organizations that whose focus is just that. Now, I know that there's been some heartwarming stories. One that I saw on Twitter was about, uh, and I apologize if I mispronounce his name, Timur's team rescued this starving dog. He was a dachshund. That was a very eventful day. So Timur is um, one of our lead volunteers in Kharkiv, which is the largest city in eastern Ukraine. Um, Kharkiv pre-war had almost 2 million people. And at this point, uh, only about 40% of the population remains. And then uh, part of that is uh, you know, the refugees that have come there. So it's been pretty devastated because it's right on the border with Russia. I mean, it was, 
it's difficult for people to describe this relationship, but a decade ago, people would go for a day trip into Russia. Like you would just go, oh, I want to have dinner. And you would just drive across the border and you'd go into Belgorod, which is the large city on the other side, and you'd come back. And it would really be a very short drive, like from the suburbs into a city. It's, it was just normal. Um, but all of these villages and the city have been under pretty constant fire this year. And on that one trip um, into these villages, they um, encountered, they went pretty close to the front line and they encountered, um, there's a starving dog that they ran into, starving dogs. And that looked like, I mean, when I first saw that picture, I'm like, okay, that that dog, I wasn't sure that dog was going to make it. Uh, It was just, it was heart-wrenching. Also on that trip, they ended up picking up um, several kittens and uh, two chinchillas. Nice. Chinchillas were from a grandmother who couldn't uh, care for them anymore. So she's like, please take them and give them to a good home. The dog they just found in the streets. And um, this one particular team, they're very social media savvy. They've had quite a few uh, videos go viral and and seen by millions. And they thought, okay, well, maybe the owner could be found. So they were empty heart care. They took a dog to a veterinary clinic and all this time they're posting videos on their instagram and tiktok and one of the thousands of people that followed them recognized the dog that's so cool and then they contacted them and reached out and this was the family the family had to evacuate but in the bombing um in the initial attacks they couldn't find the dog when they evacuated and then they have been able to go back to their village since but they were very happily reunited with their dog is now doing much better. All the stories are heartwarming, but there's a degree of difficulty and sadness to all of them. Daniil, he was recently in Ukraine for several weeks, and in eastern Ukraine, kind of north of the area that I described, um, he was visiting one village, and there's this one um, young girl there who's uh, about 10 or 11, uh, similar age to my kids, and she takes care of all the village dogs. Like that's what she's taken on as her, uh, as her job. She carries these heavy bags of pet food like all throughout the village and make sure that all the dogs are okay. And it's incredible. And she doesn't even know what some of their names are. Like some, a lot of the owners have left, so she's come up with new names for a lot of them. And she was telling him, um, we're hoping to have at least one of these videos translated and captioned soon, um, and then we'll share it on our socials. And she's telling him all of the names that she's come up with for these dogs and how she helps them and how they need different things and like this this is her job this is her hmm, that's what she's doing now um an interesting note is that the audio recording was apparently realistic enough that when i started playing it at home um my golden thought that um dogs were barking right outside i guess it sounds realistic (laughs) enough i guess she speaks dog ukrainian so the other day in Odessa, uh, we just heard from uh, one of our lead volunteers there. They had this really difficult trip to a village. This is about four hours away and most of that on small dirt roads where you can't really go off to either side because you might get blown up by a mine. Um, so they went to this village um, that they haven't been to before. And they uh, there's some things they, were, they brought a couple of generators and they brought uh, over 100 packages of food. Um, and when they approach these villages, they never really know what to expect because they know that there is a need there and there's a great need. But uh, in this case, it was definitely worse than they expected. Like their very heavy military action took place there. 
and it was devastated. There are still old rusted tanks left within the village. Much of it was destroyed and the people there hadn't received much aid. So everyone just kind of seemed beaten down. Um, when they got there, they, they finally saw the people and they saw the, you know, their dogs and everyone like was very happy to see them and they all lined up, including the dogs. They were very excited. Um, but it all of this took, the villagers shared their stories and all of this took a really big emotional toll. Like they described that there were, the tank was blown up right in the village and how they, you know, saw the dead bodies there and how the dead bodies were just left there because it was in the middle of a war. This was just in the, between the devastation and the poverty and everything. Everyone was really just incredibly exhausted and emotional. Usually the volunteers know how to deal with this, but this would prove too much for many of them. Um, one of the people that came on this trip was a volunteer. I believe he's um, German. He sometimes joins them. In this case, he brought his, he always brings his two dogs with them. And in this case, his dogs um, on the trip, on the long trip back, kind of just comforted everyone. Like everyone was so emotional and upset. And just having the animals there in their van, um, they were kind of like the support animals for the group. This wasn't the plan. Like the dogs just happened to come with him. But in this case, this really, it meant a lot for the group. And it um, felt like it really, like it was the, like the one bright spot on their trip was spending time and hanging out with these couple dogs there. Usually the animals are there in the village. So that's one thing. In, in some ways, it's kind of the animals really almost serve as an amplifier for the emotions and for everything that's going on. Um, people, especially if you're close to a war zone, will hide. So your first sign of anything will be the animals. Like somebody, an experienced volunteer driving through the village can tell exactly what's going on by how what they see from the stray dogs. If the people are in hiding, they'll know how to find them. Usually the dogs are concentrated around the houses where there's still people living there. So just quickly driving through the village and seeing, okay, there's a couple dogs here. There's a couple dogs there. They know exactly where to deliver the aid because they see the dogs. If they don't see any animals at all, or they see just a couple dog strays like randomly wandering around and nothing else, they'll know that there might not be people left. There, there's one village that they arrived at where there was a dog um, because it's a village. It was a guard dog and it was still, it was tied to guard the property. Well, except that the Russians invaded and the owner is either evacuated or was killed and they don't really, and the dog was still tied up and the villagers were afraid to approach. So they, they eventually calmed this dog down and it seems like the dog was tied up there for at least two weeks. Oh gosh. Without anybody attending it with, maybe somebody throwing occasional food. So they were able to finally free um, the dog and make sure it was okay. And, you know, it was a really like major thing because if they hadn't gotten there, they're not sure that that dog probably would have just been left there. Yeah. I know right now you have a pet food drive happening. Tell us about that. So we recently just launched a fundraiser on our um, Facebook page for um, pet food for Ukraine. Now, this is something that we've, uh, when our trucks go out to deliver aid to the remote villages, we make sure that almost all of them have um, at least some bags of pet food. Because 
it's not just the people who need to eat, it's the animals. And I know sometimes uh, people don't quite understand, like, well, isn't the priority to save people's lives? You know, animals are secondary, animals are this, but, but that's not really how it works on the ground. One of the things you quickly learn about international aid and helping people in a different country or culture is that you have to meet them where they are. You have to make sure that the aid is aid that they can use and that it fits into the ecosystem and the world that they live in. In these villages, the animals are not secondary. They're part of the family. So what we've seen in places that haven't received any pet food at all is that people are using the aid that they've received from other organizations to feed the pets. So we want to make sure that we can uh, help the people and their pets because they're responsible for them. And since there's in all of these villages, there are fewer people around, whether they evacuated internally within Ukraine, outside the country, or they're not around for other reasons. Um, but the pets are still there. Let's say I'm in the Ukraine and I need help. I would reach out to you and I would say, I don't have enough clothing or food or you know other resources and dog food. Give us logistics on that. So logistics are complicated. Um, and the first admit is that we couldn't talk to 1.7 million people one-on-one. But sometimes it is the case. So some of the time, someone will just reach us directly and say, you know, I'm in this town. Actually, this was a very specific request. And so Eastern Ukraine, Kharkiv. Um, and they reached out to us saying that my elderly neighbor was taking care of my dog and a couple others. But he just called me that the ATM ate his cart. And he doesn't have resources to buy the food anymore. And there's no power in the city. Um, could you help him? And they reached out. And then we connected him with one of our local teams who brought over uh, some bags of dog food, make sure he was good and he had the resources to continue. Um, and that's just, you know, one very specific example. But it does happen like that. Other times when they just go to a village to help people, they will bring bags of dog food because you know, every single village has pets and everywhere there is a need for it. Um, and it, it's one of those things that's pretty universal. All of the teams across the country do it, um, the ones that have access to it. Um, and you know, if one of your listeners happens to work for a dog food manufacturer or a large store selling pet food, we, um, and you'd like to organize a donation, you know, we would love to help ship that over. We've worked with a number of U.S. companies, large and small, to ship donations there. Uh, most of the time, we will buy it on the ground unless it gets shipped in from Europe. But if somebody wants to ship a container of dog food, we would, we would gladly pay for that and help organize all of it because it is much needed there. If somebody's listening and they want to volunteer and become part of Ukraine trust chain, do they need to speak Ukrainian or Russian? So that helps, but it depends on what they're going to do. Um, volunteering, there's a hundred different things that volunteers do for us every day on the U.S. side. Um, there's people who organize fundraisers. There's people who write to newspapers. There's people who uh, actually have more of an interaction with people in Ukraine. Like I talk to a number of our teams daily. Some of our members talk to more. Some handle more of the shipping logistics. I work with that as well. So there, there is a form on our website and people can sign up to volunteer. Um, the most helpful thing, most of the time, unless you can donate that truck of pet food or truck of human food, we will gladly take that as well or medical supplies. Um, 
But the most helpful thing is funds because funds can be transferred over instantly. And where other organizations were waiting months to pack a container here and to send it there, uh, we're able to just transmit funds instantly and pretty much anything can be purchased in bulk on the ground and has the effect of helping the local economy and it gets there certainly much faster. Yeah, and how do people donate? Um, they can go on our website, on ukrainetrustchain.org. Uh, we're a 501c3 nonprofit, so all of your donations are fully tax deductible. Um, we can take donations by everything from credit card to bank transfers to cryptocurrency. We're also on every single social media from Facebook to Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn, Instagram. So anywhere, find your favorite social media, please follow us. Um, I'm sure there'll be lots of posts about dogs and the people that we help as well. Elia, is there anything that you were hoping that I would ask or something that we didn't discuss that you'd like to before we end today? You know, it's hard to convey everything that we do and what we're about in just a short interview. And I find myself saying this often as I speak to a lot of people that we do so much. On our news site, uh, on our website, there's um, a link for reports where we post weekly newsletters. Um, one thing that makes us a little bit different than most nonprofits is that we don't just have a report for work that we do over the course of a year or a month. Every single week, everything that happens on the ground in Ukraine is reported in great detail where the teams go, where they meet the animals, and, you know, where they help the people. And I just really encourage people to read that. Even if you don't feel like you can donate now, just sign up for the newsletter or read some of the work. Um, we think that the work speaks for itself. We've helped thousands of people. We've helped thousands of animals. And if more people can help and provide some resources, then we can continue to help thousands more. You know, this is all donor funded. Like we, when we started off with sending all of our own money, we, at first we thought we sent, well, uh, we could just do it by ourselves because we didn't want to risk somebody else's money. We weren't sure what was happening. But when we sent the first couple hundred dollars and then we saw video of the orphanage that was evacuated with that, and then we saw the food being delivered, the more work we saw, the more we wanted to help. And quickly we realized that we can't just do this on our own. And and we asked our friends. Um, then our friends started telling us that they're running out of disposable funds. And so we asked our friends' friends and their friends. Um, our estimate, and I have all these really great numbers because we just did our totals for the year. So our the total number of estimate is 6,386 donors, I believe, um, this year that have contributed. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, let's get let's get more. Ilya, I'm so glad you came on. Give us a website one more time. It's ukrainetrustchain.org. All right, everybody, please donate. Help them out. This is such wonderful work that they're doing. I really appreciate you. And keep coming back to Dog-Eared. Great review, subscribe. Never miss an episode. <laughs>